From Schwartz Media, I'm Ange McCormack. This is 7am. It was an inquiry meant to get to the bottom of how the trial of Bruce Lerman had to be abandoned, and its goal was to improve the justice system and how it handles sexual assault cases. Instead, the inquiry itself has descended into a debacle. The man who brought on the report, the Director of Public Prosecutions, Shane Drumgold, has resigned. Meanwhile, the head of the inquiry, Walter Sofronoff KC, was talking to journalists the entire time he was running the inquiry and then handed the report to them before the government. Today, Chief Political Correspondent for the Saturday paper, Karen Middleton, on how an inquiry that was meant to restore faith ended up doing so much damage. It's Wednesday, August 9. Karen, you've been reporting on the fallout from the Brittany Higgins allegations since they first emerged. Can you tell me about how you've seen this become something that's really been prosecuted in the media? Yeah, Angie, it's actually been prosecuted in the media from the very beginning. So if you remember, Brittany Higgins um, had initial conversations with police after the alleged incident back in 2019, but decided not to go ahead with pressing charges. Then in 2021, she decided she did want to pursue charges and had re-initiated contact with police, but she chose to go to the media against their advice before she gave an interview or sat down in, in detail with them. So that set the tone, I guess, for media engagement. And it's interesting because the report we now have from the Board of Inquiry into how the whole case was handled goes very directly to that point because it affected the way police viewed her as a complainant and her credibility and they questioned her motivation and that clearly influenced the way they thought about the prospects of a conviction and whether or not there should be a charge laid at all. So the media initiation was absolutely crucial to the whole case and how it played out. And, of course, the fact that it was in the political domain at Parliament House was also significant and that was a big part of why Brittany Higgins made the decision in the first place because she took the view that she was unlikely to get justice if she just went through the criminal justice system because she believed there were political considerations that would make it hard for her to get justice. And, of course, ironically, neither she nor the man she accused, Bruce Lerriman, who has denied the allegation of rape against him, have ended up getting justice in any way at all. Right. And the inquiry into the trial of Bruce Lerman was released on Monday by the ACT government and in a move that kind of feels on brand at this stage, details of the report were being published by the Australian newspaper before the government even had a chance to look at it. What do we know about how that happened? Well, in fact, we know that Walter Sofronoff, KC, the chairman of the Board of Inquiry, his obligations under the ACT Inquiries Act were to provide the report to Chief Minister Andrew Barr. And then the government is given a month under the legislation to consider how it wants to respond to contact those who may have adverse findings, and then to publish the report and publish its response. But he actually gave the report to the columnist Janet Albrechtson at the Australian newspaper 
before he even gave it to the ACT government. He then gave it to the ABC a couple of days later than that. Mr Sofronoff has told the ACT government that he gave it to those journalists on an embargoed basis and they weren't meant to publish it until Andrew Barr had published it as Chief Minister and, of course, that did not occur. So this report came out last week in an unauthorised manner and eventually on Monday the ACT Chief Minister Andrew Barr called a news conference with his Attorney-General Shane Rattenbury beside him to formally publish the report as required under the Inquiries Act. As has been reported, the government was advised late last week that the board chair, Mr Sofronoff, chose to provide the report to two media organisations under embargo. And he made it very clear just how angry he was that his hand had been forced in this way and how unfair he felt it was to all the parties involved. In one instance, this occurred prior to me receiving the report as required under the legislation. This was not authorised by me or by anyone else in the ACT government. And I remain extremely disappointed that this has occurred. And he's now examining whether offences have been committed in relation to the release of this report and the manner that that happened. Now, the government has now sought advice on whether the premature release of the report constitutes a breach of the Inquiries Act and what further action is required. And Andrew Barr is now considering, firstly, whether further action needs to be taken about the contents of the report, and secondly, whether action needs to be taken against Mr Sofronoff for the way it, it came out and whether it may need to go to an ACT Integrity Commission inquiry, which would be an inquiry into the inquiry. <laughs> right. And and Karen, do we have any idea why Walter Sofronoff thought that he could or should share this report with the media? Like, why did he think this was a good idea? Well, Andrew Barr was asking exactly the same question. He wrote a letter to Mr Sofronoff after the report was released. Mr Sofronoff has confirmed to me in writing that he provided a copy of the report to a newspaper columnist and a broadcast journalist. He goes on to say that in furnishing copies on this basis, it was limited to two journalists. Each of these were professionals who he judged would not take the serious step of betraying his trust by behaving unprofessionally. And that he had not only selected a columnist that he felt was trustworthy to give this report to and a broadcast journalist from the ABC, but revealed that he'd been having conversations with selected journalists throughout the inquiry. Mr Sofronoff confirms that he, quote, sometimes told journalists what appeared to him to be the issues that would arise on the following day's hearings. Sometimes a discussion... Andrew Barr seemed to be astonished at that revelation. He has not detailed the specifics beyond that of what Mr Sofronoff said to him in that letter, but he did say that Mr Sofronoff had not offered an apology for his approach and he doesn't seem to say why he thought it was appropriate to release that report to one journalist before he'd even given it to the government itself. I think he had a view that uh, the reporting might be more accurate uh, if journalists were provided copies in advance, but he placed his faith uh, in a particular individual and that faith proved to be massively misplaced to huge consequences for everyone. Now, the Australian newspaper is insisting it had a second source for the report and that it didn't break an embargo. That was put to... 
Mr. Barr at his news conference and he chose to use a popular culture reference to suggest very firmly that he didn't believe them. Do you accept the explanation from the Australian that they received it through another means and therefore didn't break an embargo? What's your view of that explanation? I am reminded of the film Muriel's Wedding uh, and when Bill Heslop says, Deirdre Chambers, what a coincidence. What a coincidence indeed. And Karen, the Chief Minister clearly isn't happy here. So what consequences will there be, if any, for Sofronov? Well, this is the interesting question. The Chief Minister is taking legal advice now on what his options might be. He has made it very clear that he he doesn't think that there should be no consequences for the early release of this document, either by Mr Sofronoff or by the Australian newspaper and then subsequently by the ABC. He breached his good faith to me by releasing that report ahead of giving it to who he was meant to under the legislation. If that's the case, would you like to see him charged? Well, we are considering our options, as I've outlined in the state. So the question really is, what are the options? Uh, He points to the Inquiries Act, the ACT legislation under which he set up the inquiry, and it says quite clearly that Mr Sofronoff was required to provide his report first to the ACT government. Now, that clearly hasn't occurred. That could well mean that he faces some kind of charge. And then there's this issue about the further inquiry and Mr Bard sounded like he wasn't keen to go down that path because it was such an absurdity and, you know, risks making the the ACT a laughing stock. But equally, he says he feels that he should consider the option. Coming up after the break, whether Sofronoff's conduct cast doubt over the inquiry's credibility... Hi, I'm Alison Crogan, arts editor for The Saturday Paper. Schwartz Media has launched a new weekly arts and culture newsletter, The Arts, featuring cultural criticism, profiles and provocations from the writers behind The Monthly and The Saturday Paper. The Arts will be delivered to your inbox every Tuesday. Sign up now at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for. Please, <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy on yeah, this. If, yeah, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Karen, can you just remind us how this inquiry came about in the first place and what was its intention and goal? Well, Bruce Lerriman had faced a criminal trial late last year on the charge of raping Brittany Higgins. Now, he had always pleaded not guilty. He said he didn't do it. The trial proceeded and then we will remember that it collapsed when one juror engaged in misconduct Shane Drumgold, the Director of Public Prosecutions, indicated he planned to hold a retrial in the new year. And then in early December, he suddenly announced that he was not going to do that after all, that he was abandoning the trial and dropping the charge against Bruce Lerriman on the basis that a second trial would cause too much harm to Brittany Higgins's mental health. After that, it emerged that he had written to the 
chief police officer in the ACT complaining about police behaviour, police interference, making all kinds of allegations of obstruction, uh, hinting at at political interference. And that letter, which had been written a month before he decided to abandon the trial, was the reason that we've ended up with the inquiry. The letter was then released under freedom of information to a journalist from The Guardian. Um, The Australian newspaper in the interim had started reporting matters that had appeared to come from that letter and also appeared to include material that had not been given in evidence in the trial. We've heard through the inquiry that Shane Drumgold started to be concerned about that process, that he was being undermined and that there were unfair allegations being levelled at him. And that letter that he wrote actually sought to have an inquiry established. The ACT government then did that, set the inquiry up, And unfortunately for Shane Drumgold, he appears to be the highest profile victim thus far of the inquiry's findings. And Karen, so what did the report say and what were the recommendations that Sofronoff made? Well, the harshest adverse findings that were sustained in the final report were against Shane Drumgold, the Director of Public Prosecutions. He found that he had acted grossly unethically at times. He did stop short of finding, as he had initially proposed, that he should be struck off as a barrister and that his position as the Director of Public Prosecutions should be terminated. So he didn't make those recommendations. But what he did say was so critical about Shane Drumgold's judgment, his handling of things, the fact that he misled the Chief Justice, that it became untenable clearly for Mr Drumgold to continue and he then offered his resignation and the ACT government accepted it. Interestingly, the chairman of the inquiry didn't end up making as significant adverse findings against the police as he was initially inclined to do. He ended up making some criticisms and some strong criticisms of the way they handled uh, their uh, relationship with the Director of Public Prosecutions and of the way they reached their judgment as to whether or not uh, Bruce Lerriman should be charged at all. But Mr Sofronoff describes those as mistakes on the part of police. He doesn't find that there was any kind of, of malice or improper behaviour by any individuals. In fact, he says, I do not find that any police officer breached a duty or acted improperly. But he said they did not have a clear and accurate understanding of the test, the threshold test, for when a person should be charged with a sexual offence and when they should not be, that this was a flaw in the system and that it was the fault of the police overall and not of individuals. The report makes it clear, and the Chief Minister also underlined the point, that everybody who received proposed adverse findings from the inquiry chairman before the final report was published, pushed back against those and made submissions as to why they disagreed. And Shane Drumgold, foremost among those, very clearly said he did not agree with the findings that the chairman was proposing to make against him at all. Uh, While he conceded some mistakes, he said they were inadvertent and he didn't agree with the breaches of ethics the chairman was proposing to make. And in fact, the chairman did agree with his request not to make the ultimate findings that he should be struck off as a barrister or terminated as the DPP. In spite of the serious process concerns I've outlined, I I must stress that the government maintains confidence in the 10 report recommendations and that our focus must remain on implementation. 
The final report contains 10 recommendations that focus on changes that should be made to the system to ensure that the things that went wrong in this prosecution don't continue to go wrong. Importantly, it confirms clearly that Shane Drumgold was justified in bringing the charge against Bruce Lerriman in the first place, that there was no problem with him doing that, but that the problem lay in other areas such as the way evidence was handled, the way information was disclosed, and he makes recommendations about proper labelling of evidence briefs to ensure that information that should be protected doesn't get inadvertently sent to a party in a criminal trial that shouldn't have access to it and then find its way out into the media. So there are some recommendations along those lines and also about police training to make sure that they have a clearer and more accurate understanding of the threshold test for laying a charge at all and also of their obligations in handling those protected confidences like counselling notes that we know were inadvertently sent to both the defence and the DPP that should have been kept private. Canberrans rightly require confidence in their criminal justice system and the institutions that uphold the law in the Territory. And the recommendations in the report provide practical ways that the government and these institutions can ensure that the matters raised in the trial do not occur in the future. Andrew Barr did acknowledge that this whole thing and the way it's become such a debacle has undermined confidence in the ACT criminal justice system. And he and the ACT Attorney-General Shane Rattenbury went to some lengths to reassure the public that they are working to improve those problems within the system that may have been perceived and to encourage the public to have faith that if an offence is committed or there's an allegation of an offence, that it will be properly handled in the nation's capital. Mm, I'm wondering about that sense of faith because one of the recommendations was to look at why sexual violence is so underreported and why so few cases result in a charge. Does the handling of this whole saga shed some light on why survivors are discouraged so often, do you think, by coming forward? Well, definitely. I think if you sat through the criminal trial as I did and then covered this whole story, you could understand why women in particular, but people with a complaint of sexual violence, sexual assault, might be reluctant to come forward. Because of the way this has been prosecuted in the court of public opinion and continues to be so, as well as in a court of law. So there's definitely an undermining of confidence on the part of complainants that their matters will be properly handled. Shane Drumgold had initiated a review of the handling of sexual assault cases in the ACT because there was such a low rate of bringing sexual assault allegations to charge and to prosecution. So there's clearly underlying tensions in the whole investigative and prosecutorial process that went to the very question of how police and others in the judicial system respond to complainants of sexual assault, whether they make preemptive judgments about the veracity of their claims and whether they make enough effort to carry those forward to prosecution. And I think that is the lasting question that will remain after we finish dealing with this inquiry and anything that spins off from it. 
are people in the criminal justice system in the ACT and across the country adequately dealing with these complaints and bringing them forward to prosecution readily enough so that people who have perpetrated offences are brought to justice and face proper penalty for that. Karen, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks very much, Ange. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, the murder of two FBI agents in the US two years ago has led to the arrest of 19 Australians allegedly involved in an international child sex abuse ring. The FBI agents were killed while serving a warrant to a computer programmer in Florida in 2021. As a result of a joint AFP-FBI investigation, police say a total of 13 children in Australia have now been rescued. And newly compiled data has revealed that Defence has spent nearly $4 billion on large consulting firms over the past decade, more than all other Australian government departments combined. From Schwartz Media, I'm Ange McCormack. We'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow.